So the title of the message today is, It's the End of the World as We Know It. Um, I want to remind you about something that we will talk about it today, but also we've been talking about it, and it's something that I think should be in the heart and in the mind of every believer, and it's this very, very simple thought, that sound doctrine, good, concrete doctrine, can transform your life. It can transform your behavior. It can help you. Knowing what you believe about God helps you in this life. It helps you get through hard circumstances. It helps us praise and celebrate like we just did in worship through singing. But unsound doctrine or unsound teaching deforms. And I don't know if you've ever met somebody that had some wild, wonky, crazy belief. And they said, but there's a verse in the Bible about this. Um, it can really deform your faith and the way that you approach life, the body of Christ, your marriage, any of those things, if you don't have your doctrine correct. So today, I don't want to emphasize man's opinion. Um, I'm not going to sell you on left-behind movies or try to get you to buy a book on the blood moons. What I'm just going to tell you is what's in the Bible. How does that sound? Does that sound good? Awesome. So Hebrews 13, 9 says this, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And again, we're told in Ephesians 4, 14, grow up. Don't be tossed to and fro, back and forth by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or craftiness in deceitful schemes. You need to be stable and firmly founded as a believer. 1 Timothy chapter 1 warns us against false teachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 7, the encouragement was written because there are people in Ephesus who are teaching different doctrine. And the encouragement is there in Timothy. It says this, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Don't devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. It says the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law, Listen to me, without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who was ignorant but talked like they were not ignorant and you knew better, you, you understood, you read through it, okay? This is exactly the point. There are people that were in, infiltrating, and I use that militaristic sort of term, infiltrating the church and talking about strange doctrine. Uh, they were wrapped up in genealogies like, I'm so proud, I'm part of this tribe and that tribe, and you know, I really have descended from you know, Abraham physically and whatever. They're going into all of this stuff rather than just focusing on the most important thing, which is having a sincere faith that is really, truly concrete and grounded in God's word. So unfortunately, wherever the truth occurs or is shared or is preached, whenever truth advances, error quickly follows. 
So people twist the word of God, and that's what we want to avoid doing in our own lives. That's what we've been attempting to do through this series, is to make sure that as we look at our Christian faith, um, that we remain committed to authentic faith in Christ and not just buy into new or novel nonsense, stuff that just comes along that's heat of the moment and, you know, uh, rises in popularity, if you will. So I want to tell you a big word today, and that word is eschatology. How many of you have ever heard that word? A couple of hands. Okay, good. Eschatology is the study of last things. It's basically there are whole classes in um, in school, in seminary, where you would take and you would examine all the scripture about this. And we also, as just common believers, even without going to seminary yourself, you have studied something about the last things, the end of the world. You have heard details about heaven in scripture, and you formed kind of this picture of, okay, bad stuff happens to bad people, good stuff happens to good people. Like you, we just kind of develop those things over time. But I want to encourage you today as we study these things to understand a little bit deeper the truth of God's word. So eschatology covers things like death. It also covers things like judgment and our afterlife. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term reincarnation. Uh, you know, coming back as something else. If you could come back as something else, uh, what would it be? It'd probably be richer, more handsome, thinner, you know, for me. You know, but you only get one life. The word of God is clear, and that life goes just like this. In fact, my daughter, her life is going just like this. Both of them are. But Madeline will be turning 14 this week. I'm, I'm not old enough to have a 14-year-old, but time is flying. So we're going to study the last days, okay, the end of days. Um, we believe that all of human history culminates under the guidance of God, and we believe that God's new world will have justice, healing, and hope. And here's the thing. It will be finally all redeemed. The things that can be redeemed will be redeemed. Understand me clearly when I say that. If you were to compare Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you are specifically 1, and Revelation chapter 21, you almost see an entire redemption played out of how it was supposed to be. The, the thing is, God's always wanted to be with his people who love him. And at the end of all things, he will do that. Be with those who love him in a real way. So we don't know exactly when everything will happen, and it's not good for us to go off in wonder about that stuff and try to count the blood moons or talk about, you know, Israel became a nation in our generation. There are some important things that have happened, but we should not be so keen on those things that we forget what God's word truly says is important. And here's a fact. Jesus is returning. They've been preaching it since the first century, and we preach that still today. But regarding the events and the way that they play out, there's a lot of disagreement in the Christian world in different streams of faith. How many of you have ever heard the word tribulation? Okay. 
there are whole streams of authentic Christianity that believe all the believers will be rescued and be absolved of any of the trouble and the tribulation. There are whole streams of believers that believe we're going to suffer through half of it. There are whole streams of believers that believe the other stuff in God's word kind of says, like, look at Job. I mean, it's not that God really absolves us, but he's going to strengthen us through it. And there's whole groups of believers that believe that. So regardless of where you stand, what I want you to understand is disagreement is in the body of Christ on some of these things that we'll discuss today. There's also been misinterpretation and mishandling of the word of God. Um, the Thief in the Night, the, uh, the movie from way, way back. Um, there, there are some great popular things that have happened that have caused people to start thinking about the end times and the end of the world as we know it. But are they truly scriptural? Is all of the content scriptural? And to add insult to injury... The other thing is this, and I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about those churches out there. Um, the people are biblically illiterate. They don't know. Um, and whose, whose fault is that? It's ours for not knowing what's... And here's the thing. We have a common enemy who is very happy with everything you see on this screen right here. He is super pumped about the fact that there are Christians who disagree and break off of each other just on these little tiny things. He's really excited when somebody misinterprets or mishandles the word of God. And he could not be happier to see a bunch of dumb Christians not living according to God's word. So the point is this, avoid those things and focus on what we can so before we jump further into the scripture today, I want to give you two tips that will help you in your study of the Bible and your development of your eschatological view, okay? Tip number one is this. Don't let Google searches form your eschatology. Don't let a popular book by a world-renowned pastor Develop your theology or eschatology. Don't let a movie that comes out be the foundation for your eschatology. Let God's word be your source for those things. So that's tip number one. We should allow scripture to really inform scripture. So when I'm looking at, in the book of Daniel and seeing some crazy imagery, I need to think about what those images represented to those people and do a little bit of deeper digging and not just Google it, okay? Tip number two is this. This is a big one. Don't make the Bible say what you want it to. Now, this is not going to get me a contract on TV <laughs> to broadcast, Okay? Don't make the Bible say what you want it to say. The challenge is this. You've all, many of us, let me rephrase that. Many of us have grown up in the church or been raised periodically by going to church and attending as children maybe and went away for a while and came back and we had our families and we're back in church and that kind of stuff. Here's the thing. If you want the Bible to say something, you can make it say something. But the whole point is to not do that and to allow God's word to form you, to get you 
to live the way that God wants you to. So don't read into the Bible. Read it and study it. I really want to stress this, that we've got to be careful not to read into the Bible what we already believe. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not encouraging the deconstruction of your faith or criticism or cynicism in your heart. That is not the point of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to be open to understanding that you can read the word of God today, the same words you read or heard 20 years ago, and you understand them in a new way or a different light. It's not that the word of God has changed, but it is very possible that you are not perfect in your belief system. Can I get an amen? So that's the whole point is not allowing um, or for us to make sure that we don't make the Bible say that we want it to say. Um, today we're going to focus on facts and data and scripture, not imagination, not conjecture, and not human opinion. So I'm going to give you verses to back up everything that we talk about. Are you ready? Eschatological belief number one, okay, the end of the world. Jesus' return is these two words, imminent, which means looming, it's possible at any moment, okay, hanging over is literally what that means, and it is indeterminable. That means that you can't tell me, and I don't know if you've ever heard of 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988, or the giant billboards that came out in 2011 saying Jesus is coming back on March 3rd, whatever. It's not our place to determine when he's coming back. In fact, if I'm to understand Jesus' actual words in scripture, I'll read it to you in just a moment. Jesus, while on earth, said only the Father knows. Only the Father, which is interesting. But Jesus' return is imminent. And when we say imminent, I've talked about this somewhat recently, it's in relation to human history. So they've been preaching this message for years and years, and there's some good reason to do that. A, it's biblical, but the other thing, too, is it kind of causes you to pause. It puts a little bit of a healthy fear into you in order to live holy, and that's not a bad thing. We say, well, you shouldn't have any fear. Listen, the Bible says we should fear God. We should live holy, and so it's a challenge for us to look at it in light of not saying, oh, the first century believers thought he was coming back when in the first century, and he didn't, and they got disappointed. Then, you know, my grandparents or, you know, that generation, they were thinking he was going to come back then, and then they're disappointed. So we don't want to live by disappointment. We want to live with a blessed hope inside of us to be looking forward to that day that Jesus returns. Amen? He's coming back, and it could be any day or any hour. It's not wrong to understand it in that light because that's exactly what Jesus' own words say. Go with me to Matthew chapter 24. I'm about to put just the, the references on the screen if you want to take a picture. Go with me in your Bible, though, because we couldn't get it all on the screen. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 through 14 and I want to tell you what Jesus said. Verse 3 says, he sat on the mountain 
of Olives, the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately away from the crowd saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Look up at me and listen real quick. Do you remember the conversation with disciples and the mama of disciples going, who's going to sit on Jesus' right hand and <laughs> vying for position? Okay, they're still consumed with this whole like, okay, so when are you going to come and kill these bad people and establish your kingdom on the earth? And verse four, Jesus answers them and says this, see that no one leads you astray. Verse five, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. Verse six, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Does that sound like today? It does. Jesus says, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9 says this, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. So again, Jesus is talking to his disciples privately, and he is telling them these things, and he says in verse 9, then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Verse 10, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Have you ever heard of church split, divisions in churches, people that are supposed to be examples and shining beacons of love? And here's Jesus' words saying, there will be many who betray one another and hate one another. Verse 11, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So there'll, there'll be people that say, I am the Christ, and then there'll be others who are falsely prophesying, and they will lead many astray. Verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And verse 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. There are things in the timeline of history, in the course of history, that have happened that have caused delays to other things in history, okay? So when I look at this and I understand what Jesus is saying, I see that the mission of the church, which we talked about last Sunday, is yet to be completed, we haven't reached the whole world with the gospel as of yet. And that's what Jesus just said. He said, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. There are still people who have never heard the gospel. John 3.16. You could say it with me. For God's that he gave. eternal or everlasting life. He doesn't want anyone to perish without having had the opportunity and the chance to believe in him. Skip to verse 27. 
And the reason for that is just because of the length of the message today. There's a couple of big passages like this. Jesus continuing to speak in verse 27 says this, For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's another term for Christ. Verse 36 to 39, Jesus says this, Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son. Your Bible might have been, I don't know what you have, NIV, New King James Version, King James, whatever it is. Some manuscripts omit the term, nor the Son, but some manuscripts, original manuscripts, have it. So it's important that I say that. Jesus says, but the Father only. No man, woman or child, knows the day or the hour, only the Father. Verse 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. In other words, they weren't hearing the warning. The clarion call of a strange man and his family building a magnificent, gigantic boat, they weren't listening. They were just carrying on with life as they knew it. They were getting married and they were going out to eat and they were doing the things until the day when Noah entered the ark. Verse 39, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 42, Jesus encourages them and says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Verse 44, again, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So inherent in the understanding of those first believers, the disciples of Jesus and all of his followers since then, there was this um, passioned call to remember that Jesus is returning and it could happen at any moment. So his return is imminent and it's also not to be determined by you or I. Don't waste your money on a book. Don't trust a fortune cookie. Don't watch the movie and say, yes, this is when he's coming back. Leave it alone. Jesus said so, okay? Belief number two is this. Judgment is coming. Again, if I was trying to get a contract for TV, it's not going to happen today. Judgment is coming. And this is not the self-help gospel that is sometimes being preached on TVs and in our nation, even in small towns. But judgment is coming, and it's not just for the dirty, rotten, low-down, no-good, scoundrel sinners. Judgment is coming. The Bible says it's coming for believers as well. You say, wait a second, I know I did something bad this week, Pastor, but I asked God to forgive me, and we're like, we're good now. Hold on, because the Bible actually says judgment is coming for all people. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9 and 10 say this. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says, we make it our aim to please God. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive his due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, today is not for me. I'm not trying to fear monger or stir you up to some sort of stress. 
trust me, I've shared stories with some of the people in this room uh, over lunch at point, different points about like rapture scares in my life as a child, okay? Getting home and mommy and daddy didn't show up when they're supposed to and I thought, oh Jesus, please, God, come get me. You know, like there's a healthy amount of fear though that we should have knowing that judgment is coming for the deeds that are done in the body in your human life, whether they were good or evil, it is important to have this in our mind and to not just be like the people of Noah's day and carry on like it doesn't really matter. Look at what Revelation chapter 20 says. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. I don't know if you'll be able to actually read that. I tried, but go with me in your Bible. I was Trying to get all the Bible I could into this message today because I want you to have a good foundation for what you believe, okay? Revelation 20, verse 11 says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, the earth and the sky fled. And no place was found for them. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Remember that one phrase right there. Death and Hades, or death and hell, were thrown into the lake of fire. And the word of God in Revelation says, this is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. How could a good God send decent people to hell? He can do it because he's the creator of us. He has authority over us. And so if we've given our heart and our life to him and put our belief in him, we will be with him in eternity, and we'll get there in just a few minutes in the message. The point being, though, both those who have died and gone before us, as well as those who are wicked and those who are righteous, we will all, every one, each one, be judged. You know, think about our uh, human judicial system for just a second. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been disappointed by it, the judicial system, but I know of people who have. Um, People sometimes slip through the cracks. Somebody who's guilty doesn't get the punishment. They get off on a technicality or um, they put a smile on to the guards every day and they get out early for good behavior or there's problems with our human judicial systems, whether it's here in America or or in a foreign country, people get, they fall through the cracks, and the point is those systems of humanity fail. But the thing that I know for sure is that will not be the case for the Almighty. He will judge the living and the dead at that time, and everyone, 
because he is the great judge of the earth. Literally just look in a Bible concordance or Bible software or Google it and say judge in the Bible and it'll give you 50 verses, 75 verses, whatever it is, how many ever occurrences. The Psalms talk about him being the righteous judge, which is a great thing because you were facing hell and damnation But because he is a righteous judge, he allows you to come into his kingdom because of the gift he gave you called Jesus Christ. That's amazing when you think about it. And it it should put a little bit of a spark in your heart to make sure that those who you know, even those that you know that you might not love, like your hard boss or, you know, that difficult person to deal with, Everyone needs to hear this gospel, the gospel that Jesus saves, and he is the only way to heaven. Throughout scripture, we're given um, some values or qualities, characteristics of God using human-like language, okay? We're told that we're made in his image, and you have eyes, I have eyes, we've got legs, okay? In scripture, the Bible tells us that God hears, that he has an ear to hear our prayer, right? That's why we pray. That he sees, in fact, there's really strange terminology. It says that his eyes roam the earth. Um, It says that his hand is not too short that it cannot save and pull you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It gives us this imagery, but more than just those human-like attributes, it talks about his divinity, in the fact that more than just having a mind to understand or ears to hear, eyes to see, that he actually can see the inward parts of you. He knows the intimate details of your life and he understands you. The Bible says that he knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart and we're encouraged by these things all the time, but it's important to understand the flip side of that too. God knows the problem you have with gossip and the issue that you face. He knows those bad thoughts, and he wants to help you and redeem even now the things that you do that are displeasing to him. He wants to reverse and cause them to be things that please him. He wants to do that in your life, and he's able to because he is divine if you'll just give him permission. It's so, so important that you do that. We've got to understand that God's system will not fail. No one will escape judgment. No one gets off on a technicality. No one's getting released early from their prison in the future. His eyes see the deeds that you and I do. And here's the thing. It's great. He sees you doing the kind deed and the wonderful thing and serving and all of that. He also sees the other side of things. So we need to have that healthy amount of fear to understand he wants us to live holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, there's a very large passage I encourage you to read. I'm literally just going to pull one verse out of there. But 1 Peter 1 verse 13 to 19, his encouragement in the word of God is basically for us to be sober-minded and um, put our hope fully on the grace of Jesus As obedient children, don't be conformed to your old life, all of these things. And then verse 16, he says this, since it is is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. 
If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear, in verse 17, throughout the time of your exile. Now, this is written to people who are of a Jewish heritage that have been exiled. They believe in Jesus, okay? If you feel like you're falling asleep this morning because it's boring, you just keep yourself awake, okay? He is sending this message out to them saying, during your exile, conduct yourself with fear. When I read that, I thought to myself, well, aren't we all in exile? Aren't we all waiting for a permanent home? Yes. So we should conduct ourselves with fear. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So judgment is coming, and we should be a little bit fearful and a little bit worried about that. It should help us and inspire us to live holy. It should help us and inspire us to share our faith with others. It's really important. Here's belief number three about the end of the world as we know it. Heaven is real, but it's probably not what you think. Okay? Because we have all of these. I don't know where we got this thought that Peter is the only guy checking roll. You're going to talk to St. Peter. Okay? There's literally no verse in the Bible. I get it. Somebody adapted the thought because Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Okay, great. So then somebody came up with, okay, Peter's at the pearly gates. Listen, we have these different imaginations of what heaven is about. In fact, I was at a reading fair at CCA the other day that my daughter participated in, and there was a young boy there who uh, was doing a, a book fair project on a book titled similarly, Heaven is Real, and it's about a, a, a kid's experience out of body, you know, that kind of thing. The idea, though, that we have that heaven is real gives us hope to know that this is not our permanent home here right now as it is. But here's the thing. If you read Scripture correctly, heaven is a temporary home for those who believe in God. You say, Pastor, now it sounds like you got into the weird stuff. Listen, for those who have died believing in God and following Jesus, heaven has become a temporary home. You're not going to be floating on a cloud. I've used that illustration, being like Cupid, you know, just chilling on a cloud. The Bible says a lot about heaven. It just doesn't give us all of the information that we wish we had. Here are a few things that we do know. Write these down quick. I'm going to tell them to you fast. 1 Corinthians 15, you should read that if you're interested. It says that we will experience heaven with transformed bodies, not disembodied spirits. Now, don't come up to me after church asking me how old are we going to be in heaven? Am I going to be you know, skinnier, heavier, taller, whatever? I don't know the answer to all of those things, okay? I don't know if we're all going to be the same age. I, don't, I have no idea. But I'm going to tell you this. When we say things about death and dying here on the earth, we've got some crazy messed up theology. That young child that passed away became an angel. That's not in the Bible. Humans don't turn into angels. 
So I know it comforts our heart to think about things like that, but really we need to understand that we're not going to be disembodied spirits. You're going to have a body. Okay, I got your attention. We will be like Christ, according to 1 John 3, and the Bible says we will have some attributes like angels, according to Matthew chapter 22. Revelation 21 says there'll be no pain, no tears, all of that will be done away with. It'll be amazing. The Bible tells us in Revelation 7 that believers from every nation, every age of history, every time of history, that anyone who believed in God received that salvation, they will all be there together, the Bible says, worshiping and praising God and giving him thanks. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that we'll be with the Lord forever and that we will share in the glory of Christ. Revelation chapter 21 is where I want you to turn. If you've got a Bible, we do have these verses for you in just a second. Revelation 21 paints a picture of our future as believers. Again, I'm sorry. Just squint and you'll see it, okay? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Pay attention. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. This is John receiving a revelation, the whole book, and we'll do a series about this later this year. Hopefully it won't take me 18 months to go through it like it did Leviticus. But anyway, uh, but that was a good series. I mean, I heard some, something just the other day. Somebody said, that really helped me. The sea was no more. Verse 2 says this, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Ladies, you've never looked prettier than the day that you got married. Like all the work that went into that, like you, you were adorned for your husband, for the crowd, for all the onlookers. That's what John is saying he sees happening. The holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down, beautified, adorned, and it says in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said this, Behold, I am making all things new. It's amazing when you think about the hope that we have. But heaven is not some ethereal just space, you know, somewhere. If I'm to use my imagination, now don't go painting a picture like this. They're probably do, they do exist. A city, the circumference of a city, if you just cut one out of the globe and had it suspended over the earth, that's what I imagine John is seeing, this gigantic thing kind of hovering, coming down to a new creation. Listen, where there will be no death, no tears from eyes. There won't be mourning or crying or pain because all things will have been redeemed at that moment. It's amazing. Heaven is real, but it is not our final resting place 
it is this new earth that will be our final resting place. So the new heaven and new earth. Then the new Jerusalem. So, hey, and listen to me. I'm not telling you you can't talk about heaven or something. Talk about heaven. Tell people to go to heaven. (laughs) Some of you got that. That's good. Tell people they should go to heaven, okay? You want them to go to heaven. You don't want them to go to the other place, okay? But the whole point is this. Heaven as the idea or imagination that we have, we, we have to really pick apart and look through the Bible to see. Because if you're to read Revelation chapter 20 and 21, the things that we've heard about pearly gates or jewels and streets of gold and stuff like that are actually about this bride of Christ, this new city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down. So I don't know, and I'm not going to tell you that your grandmother who passed away is not walking on streets of gold right now. I'm not sure. I don't have all the answers, but I will say this. Heaven is real. God says it is, and that there will be a new creation and all things will be redeemed. It's amazing. Our beginning, our, our end is going to be a redemption of our beginning. So it appears that heaven is temporary for right now, but our permanent home is on this newly recreated earth. Okay, here's belief number four. Hope I stirred you up to some thoughts today. Hell is real, but it's probably not what you think. You say, well, pastor, I've been through hell and back. Mm, No, you really haven't. Okay, I know you've been through some hard times, But hell is real. It's just not maybe what you were taught or imagine and think. Because just like heaven is a temporary home right now for those who have gone before who believed in God and were able to go there, hell will be a temporary place, but it's not the final place that those who are punished go to. Some people equate hell with another term called lake of fire, but the Bible uses very distinct language when it says in Revelation that hell and all of its inhabitants, as well as the beast that's mentioned in Scripture, the devil, all of the rebellious spiritual beings, and every person who's rejected Jesus Christ, all of them are going to be taken with hell and thrown into an everlasting fire of torment. That is their permanent home for any who are unbelievers who've rejected Jesus. This is important for us to understand because, listen, you've got actual popular people, way more popular than you can imagine, writing books from a Christian standpoint saying hell does not exist, saying that they don't believe in it. You've got to understand the Bible is very clear that there is a judgment and how else could you receive what is beneficial if you've, if you've um, received the Lord and you've lived according to his word, his way. What else could be besides the alternate, which is if you've rejected him, that there's actual punishment and torment awaiting. But here's the thing. Hell was not originally designed for you and I. That's important for you to understand. If you go to Matthew chapter 25 or Revelation chapter 20, you'll see that God says that it was not for those who are human beings to go to, but it was for the devil, for Satan as we know him, 
and for other rebellious spiritual beings. It was for those who rebelled against God, but now it's become the place that those who are unbelievers go as well, and it had to take that shape because of what we did in the garden. Are you following me? I've only got four points. The Bible also tells us this, hell is a temporary home for those who reject Christ. Matthew 13, Revelation 20 and 21, all three of those places. The lake of fire is going to be the permanent home for those who have rebelled or rejected Jesus Christ. Listen to me when I say, your eternal life involves existing not as a disembodied spirit, whether it's there, we point this way, or there. There's going to be real, actual, conscious, physical torment for those who go there. Listen to these just phrases out of these verses. Matthew 13, 50. A furnace of fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mark chapter 9, verse 48. Where the fire never goes out. Revelation 14, 10. They will be tormented with fire and brimstone. So hell is eternal and it is irreversible. Uh, there are other people that are saying things that they are making up false beliefs. And they're saying that at some point everybody in hell is going to be given one more chance and that kind of thing. Listen to me. It's permanent. Okay. Like you get one choice in this life whether you're going to live it to head there or to head there. And we point there and there. But again, just understand, you need to really look at the word of God for what it is. When it says hell is eternal and irreversible, it says in Revelation 14, 11, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Revelation 20, 14, this is the second death, the lake of fire. And I, I quoted this earlier, read this earlier, verse 15 of Revelation 20. It says, if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This should jar us. You should feel something today. Not because I'm trying to preach hellfire and brimstone, as they used to say, but because heaven is real and hell is real, we have a choice in this life to make, and it's so important for us to make that choice, and I would encourage you to make it today. And listen, if you're a believer in this place, and I'm so thankful, we have members who, all of our members are believers, let me just say that. I'm so thankful for the membership of our church that loves God and believes in him, but I'm telling you, our mission is not yet complete. We still have a job to do. And it's not a job you can just pay somebody else to do. <laughs> so while all Christians don't agree on every detail of what will occur in the final events of world history, some of these events and their order of occurrence have simply not been made clear in the Bible. And it's okay. I'm okay not knowing some of that stuff. I'm better off probably because God designed his word like that. What's important to truly believe is that Christ will ultimately return physically, visibly, and gloriously to rule and reign with his followers in the new heaven and new earth. It's amazing. I love studying eternity. 
it does something to spark something inside of my heart to share with others. So here are two truths to take away or two truths to remember. Everyone will exist eternally and you get to choose what your destination is. It's really simple. You don't have to be Billy Graham, although he preached a very simple message. You, You don't have to have a sign standing on the side of a street, but you need to share this truth with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, because we really don't know when he's returning. It could be today. It could be in three lifetimes from now, three generations from now. I don't know. But the point is for us to have that in the front of our minds so that it helps us live according to how he wants, which is for us to share this with others. Putting your trust in Christ helps you get there. Not believing in him helps you get there. It is that simple. So, and for those of you that might hear this podcast, I pointed to the sky and to the floor, but believing in Jesus Christ is what leads us to heaven and not believing in him, we do suffer eternal punishment as a result. At the end of our services, we always have a time where we just wanna commit ourselves to the Lord and to the message and take a moment and reflect. We talked about four big beliefs today and went through a ton of scripture about these things. But I I think there's two things I wanna have happen today. The first is this, if you are here today and you say, Pastor, I understand this. I heard it a long time ago. I haven't been living according to the way I should. I want to make that fresh start. I want to place my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. Today is the day to do that. We want to pray for you today and agree with you to accept Jesus into your heart and into your life, to put your faith and your trust in him. So if that's you, when we call for prayer in just a second, you can step out of your seat and we'd love to pray with you. We've got individuals coming up to the sides and they'll pray with you. But also I recognize many times we came to church and we've got heavy hearts or a burden of some sort. Something that we need God's help with. And maybe that's you today. And you say, Pastor, I just have this job situation going on or this stress, financial pressure, this marriage issue, whatever it is, that's what our prayer team is here for. That's what we're here for. We wanna pray for you. So I'm gonna pray over us the prayer that we pray so often. And if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads today. And at the end of my prayer, just step out of your seat if you need prayer for any reason. And we wanna pray with you. Holy Spirit, speak to your church today. God, in your loving grace, convict the heart of any unbeliever that is hearing this message. Draw them to yourself today. Father, for the other needs that are represented in our lives that we'll receive prayer for today, I pray that you would meet those needs. Lord, we're so thankful that you're a God who hears, who sees, who knows who we do not walk this life alone. So Lord, today we have confidence in that as we step out for prayer. In Jesus' name.